Well, it is an honor and a privilege, and it, and it will never stop being an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you all, uh, my family, and to be able to speak uh, where Pastor Sid speaks every week. It's just, it really is an honor and a privilege, and I will never stop being appreciative. It is, it is awesome. I love it. Um, and today, we're going to look at something that we, we looked at recently uh, in, in youth group. Uh, we talked about worship. And what that means. And for me, um, this discussion and this uh, topic and the, the ideas that we, we, we uh, looked at really came out of, of years of wrestling with the idea of worship, with my idea of worship. Um, personally, I've always struggled to figure out how worship, as I understood it, right, as I had been taught it, um, fit into the Bible and into Christianity more broadly, a lot of times, um, and not that I thought it didn't fit into it, I just struggled to see where, what's its place, what's the relationship between what, what I thought worship to be and the rest of Christianity and the Bible more broadly and all these things, right? Um, and, and the thing is, a lot of times, our theological definitions, like our definitions of worship and things like that, they come from what we observe rather than what we are, ta- we are taught. So who knows that we learn by watching probably more than we learn by like listening or reading and things like that a lot of times. Um, and so I mean, just a side note, we need to be careful what we're showing our kids, right? And, and people, our, people around us in general, we need to be careful what we are displaying because people are learning from that. Um, but last semester, I took a class on the written prophets. And in this class, we talked about this incredible text that we're going to get to in a second. And it spoke directly to some of my concerns about worship um, as, as we tend to understand it, as I had tended to understand it. Um, and we're going to look at that today. And I want to be clear, and I'll probably have a few of these caveats throughout, because I don't want to diminish any kind of genuine worship experience. Um, I don't want to diminish anyone's views. I, I, don't want to, I certainly don't want to make you feel like, oh, you missed it all this time. You're totally wrong, and, and now I'm going, to sh- I'm going to teach you, right? Like, that's not my attitude or heart in this, but my attitude and heart is that I think um, what is displayed in our circles and in, in, in most circles is oftentimes not the full picture. It's not mo- maybe the most well-rounded view of a, of a really rich and, and deep topic and, uh, and biblical ideal, right? I think that um, for me, I, I had some misunderstandings um, when I was thinking about worship and what it was, and, and, and I just want to I wanna come to a more well-rounded view. And so I don't, please don't be offended. Please don't let me uh, diminish your experience or your thoughts or ideas on, on worship, but, but maybe you can get something that will add to what you've experienced and what you think already. But before um, we go into the text, um, we're going to do some more things or something else uh, in youth fashion, in youth style, right? We're going to play uh, a game. Okay, so I'm going to call this game Worship or Nah, right? Some more youth language for y'all. Worship or Nah, um, and the youth are like shaking their head like, what is this guy? He's not representing us well. I'm not, I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> we played this in youth, and it was really, really, really interesting to see uh, what they had to say. And so what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to show, or well, Nate, what Nate is going to do, he's going to show some um, pictures on the screen, and I want you to tell me, and you can just shout it out, I want you to tell me if you think that these people, these pictures, are displaying genuine worship or not, or not, right? 
Okay, so the first picture we got up here, what do you think of this young lady right here? Is this genuine worship? No? Yes? I got some yes. I got some no. Okay, this is a Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> this is a Justin Bieber concert, yes. So for those of you who don't know, Justin Bieber, and just wait on the next one. Justin Bieber is like a teen boy pop star, whatever you'd call Justin Bieber. I don't know. Teen boy pop star God thing. I don't know, to, to girls. I, whatever. Anyways, so this is Justin Bieber concert. Okay, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Okay, okay what do you think of this? What, is this genuine worship? Yes, you think yes? Okay, well, I, I don't know. Do you think the, the confetti is a giveaway of anything? I'm just, no? All right, this is, okay, this is a Hillsong concert. So this was a worship, what you'd call a worship concert. All right, let's go to the next one. What do you think of this one? Yes? No? This is Coldplay. <laughs> this is a Coldplay concert. So, so it's, it's, so got some yeses, got some noes. And I'm not trying to trick you. This is just fun. I'm just, it's just interesting to me. All right, what about this one? Huh? Yes? Okay, this is Red Rock. So this was a worship. This was a, a church gathering, but that drummer's going hard. I like it. I like it. Next one. What about this one? Worship? No? Yes? <laughs> this is Celine Dion. <laughs> Celine Dion concert. It's kind of fun. Okay. Yeah, this is Bethel. This is Bethel concert. This is Bethel concert. Go ahead. To, I think, is that it? That's it. Okay, so, again, don't let me, don't let me get, don't let me offend you. <laughs> I, and, um, but I really, I just want to be super, uh, super clear. Because I don't want you to think I'm saying something I'm not. Okay, so, so stay with me. Um, I, I think that I have a good point here, but just stay with me. I've heard preachers use this sort of thing as an illustration before. When I was in youth camp one time, they showed a, a video of a concert, and he said, you know, watch this worship. And uh, it, they started it halfway through, so you didn't see the beginning, and, and it was, like, very emotional. People were crying, raising their hands, all these things. It looked like what we would think of as, as worship, and then, then the, the song kicks in, or the lyrics kicks in, you realize it's, it was Coldplay, or another a secular band. But I've heard this, this before, and most of the times when they use this, it goes one of two ways. They might say, um, one, if, if non-Christian people will display such genuine acts of worship, such excitement in settings like this, secular settings, how much more should we be doing in the presence of God? They might say that. And, you know, there might be something there. That's not an, an awful point, I don't think, but that's not exactly what I'm saying. Some of you may have heard it this way. Um, if, you can't, if you can get excited at the Cowboys game, then why can't you get excited in the presence of God, right? People, frame, they frame that question. And then you feel guilty because you go crazy at the Cowboys game. But the truth is, if you came to church with your chest painted blue, everyone would be a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you came with your face painted and you're like, go cow, no, I'm just kidding. That, that wouldn't fly in most churches, maybe like the non-denom, like flag-waving, dancing churches. I don't know. Maybe it'd fly there. But <laughs> um, then on the other hand, some people would look at these pictures and include, okay, well, they'd conclude, okay, we can't really tell the difference between the concert and the worship services. 
uh, very well, at least. Um, our modern worship concert-like experience, it's worldly and it's compromised. We, we got, get rid of it. Get rid of the lights, get rid of the smoke machines, uh, turn down the bass, right? Get, get rid of it. Um, but here's the thing. Neither of these views are my point. These are not what I'm trying to get at. I think maybe if we had a long conversation, some of them could be used. I don't know. But that my point is not either of these. My point is this. It's, if it's hard to differentiate between a worship experience and a concert, a secular concert, just based on the picture, then maybe there is more to worship than just the experience. I don't want to try and guilt you into being more emotional. I don't want to try and guilt you into getting rid of all of the things that are, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, worldly in our worship service. or our, well, I'm not trying to do any of that. What I'm trying to do is get us to question our definition of worship. To get us to ask, maybe there's more. Maybe, maybe we need a bigger picture. Maybe we need to understand this deeper. If, if, if worship is only an emotional experience with some music thrown in, then we have a problem. Because that is obviously happening at the Justin Bieber concert. That girl was very emotional. You know, recently I was lucky enough to experience Disney World. Um, and it was awesome. So the coolest thing was the fireworks show. The fireworks show was, I'm, I, and I'm not exaggerating, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. So it ha they had these projectors. I don't know where they were. I don't know what kind of projectors they were. They, you, they were invisible to the eye. But they projected up on the castle, and the, they could literally change the color of the castle, change the details. They could add characters that would, they, and, 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 and this, they did this show on the castle, like this three-dimensional like building, right, that was amazing, and it's all timed with the, the lights, and it's timed with the fireworks, and it's timed with the music, and it was incredible. It brought me to tears. Like, I experienced genuine emotion at the sight of this amazing show. It was beautiful art, honestly. I, I know people, are, they're hard on Disney World saying it's like anti-culture, you know, and stuff like that, uh, mainly the French. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And when we think about worship, these are kind of the things we tend to think about. Music, raising our hands, having an emotional experience, and sometimes we frame it as being in the presence of God, which the truth is, sometimes we, it, we, we struggle to differentiate between the two. And that's exactly why a lot of secular people describe some of these emotional experiences as spiritual encounters or spiritual experiences that they don't even really understand. But, but anyways, my point is, we, we kind of think about these things, we, we, maybe we frame it or talk about it like the Holy Spirit goosebumps. Who's heard preachers talk about that before, right? The Holy Spirit goosebumps. And hear my heart on this. Hear my heart on this. Again, I told you I'd be giving you a lot of these caveats because I, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to make you think that I think that these things are bad. I'm not saying it's bad to have an emotional experience either at a concert or at a ball game or in a church service. It's not a bad thing to, 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 to have a time where we sing to God on our, in our Sunday morning worship service. Not at all. In fact, it's in the Bible. It's prescribed. 
It's not a bad thing to have lights and, and smoke machines and subwoofers that make sure you can feel Sister K's and Matthew's baseline in your chest, right? These aren't bad things. It's not a bad thing to have loud music and lots of instruments and new songs or to have soft hymns and just an organ. These aren't bad things. These aren't bad things, but my point is that our, our definition of worship shouldn't be limited to these things, right? It has to go beyond the stuff. Otherwise, I don't understand the difference between what's happening in our Sunday morning and what happens like all, everywhere else at Disney World, you know? And this is where our text comes in, Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. So if you want to turn there with me, you can kind of get a, a sneak peek at where we're going. But Amos prophesied to and about the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, that was his main focus. He, he hit some other uh, nations as well, but that was his main focus. He did this during the reign of Jeroboam II, okay? This was a time that was full of political, economic, and military success and prosperity. Matter of fact, it was the most success and, most success and prosperity that the nation, both Judah and Israel, the southern and northern kingdom, it was the most success and prosperity they had had since the time of Solomon in the, the, the uh, United Kingdom. And in the ancient world, you have to understand this, this kind of success, this kind of prosperity meant that uh, God or the gods were happy. It meant that they, they were happy with, with them as people, as a, as a country, as a nation, as people. And, 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 and honestly, it's not so different from today if you consider certain uh, people's theology. Prosperity gospel is what I have in mind. But, but this, the, you know, the prosperity and the success meant, God, okay, God's happy with me. God's happy with us. But then Amos comes, and he just trashes the nations around Israel, and then especially, and this is his main point, especially the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And he trashes them for not keeping the covenant. Okay, so let, let's define this a little bit. The covenant is both a sort of contract, including God's commandments. That's a really important part of it. So it's a contract that includes God's commandments. It's like, hey, do this. This is the deal. Do these things. This is my law. This is my commandments, right? So that's half of the covenant. But it's also a bond that God shares with his people. A promise, a bond, something that they share together. God giving and Israel keeping the covenant is what makes Israel God's people. Understand that. Hold on to that. Remember, it's very, very important for like interpreting most of the Bible. God's covenant people were God's covenant people because of the covenant, right? God, Israel was God's people because of the covenant, both in that God gave it to them and in that they were called to obey it and keep it, right? And the written prophets, Amos included, are what some have called covenant lawyers, I think that's a good term to memorize, too, because it helps you with the, the prophets. Covenant, covenant lawyers, it's kind of, it's helpful. Um, I've also heard it said, like, heard them called covenant watchdogs, meaning that their purpose is to go, call God's people out when they are breaking the covenant. So like a lawyer would do with someone breaking a contract, Right? So Israel, they start breaking the covenant, and the, the prophets, the covenant lawyers come in and say, hey, 
what, what are you doing? Like, come on, people. You know the covenant. You know the contract. You know the deal. Keep up your end, right? Keep it up. What are you doing? And Israel isn't keeping the covenant, particularly and specifically in regards to social justice. Matter of fact, Amos, out of all the books of the Bible, harps on social justice probably the most. Jesus probably takes a lot of his theology and a lot of his ideas from Amos. He, he quotes a lot of the prophets, and he even says, I come to bring good news to the poor, right? Like, Jesus is, is, is very into social justice, social change, and, and all these things. So this is very important for our understanding of Jesus as well. It's, it's, this is good stuff. But um, they're not keeping the covenant. You see, all that prosperity we were talking about early, all that success was attained on the backs of the poor. And throughout the law, throughout the covenant, right, the law and the covenant, the laws within the covenant, throughout the law, Israel was called to protect the poor and the marginalized. They were called to protect the immigrant and the orphan and the widow, so on and so forth. Are you with me? They were commanded not to oppress the poor, and yet here they were selling and making the poor slaves, charging taxes on grain, making money off of people's starvation and hunger, selling the righteous for silver and trading the needy for sandals, as it says, trampling the poor in the dust of the earth, turning away the afflicted. They were breaking the covenant. And in this section, Amos the section that we're going to go over, Amos responds to these issues. He responds to these people with two sections, two, two individual passages that were um, inter- reinterpretations of coveted theological ideas, right? So these were like reinterpretations of some ideas that the Israelites had and cherished, right? Um, and, and the first one, if you can put it on the screen, is, is the day of the Lord. Okay, so in, in uh, verses five, chapter 5, verses 18 through t- uh, 20, Amos reinterprets the day of the Lord. And then the next one is worship. And he says in the first person, on behalf of God, uh, this reinterpretation of the Israelites' worship. That's the second section. And then he ends these two sections, or mainly the second section, with a call for genuine worship. And that's what we're going to go over today. So if you want to follow along, that would be the the structure. So kicking it off in verse 18, I'll read. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, help us, God, to open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help me, Lord, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and and to uh, the people in this room, Lord. I pray that we would come together and be encouraged um, and and, and find um, unity in the mind of Christ, find unity in your word, Lord, that we would be bound by our belief and our worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 18, it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Now, woe is important because this was a word that was often used in, 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 in funerals. It was a, a word of mourning. It was a word of, a, a word of loss and sorrow, right? And so as he says this, he's already setting the tone. Like, this is, this is rough, right? Woe. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. It's very mournful, too. 
Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Ah! That'd be terrible. (laughs) Only have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. So here in, it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's, it's pretty rough. We'll be honest. Uh, you read that and you're like, oh man. If there's a new person here, they are going to be like, this place is depressing. You know, I mean, even a little nervous right now. But it's good. It's good. So we'll redeem this for you, hopefully. I think it's a very powerful message. But in verse 18 through 20, Amos is talking about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a theme that's picked up all throughout the the written prophets. And um, it's a day that the Israelites wanted. It says right here, you're long for this day, right? But this was a day um, that was thought to be a good thing, right? They thought that the day of the Lord would be a day where the Lord would destroy Israel's enemies. Um, It it was going to be a time where he would rescue them, a time where he would prosper them economically, um, agriculturally, all of these different things that were a very big part of their worldview. And it was going to be a day of vindication, and Amos says, oh, it'll be a day of vindication, all right. It'll be a day of vindication for the poor who you are oppressing. It'll be a day of justice that comes as judgment on the disobedient Israel. So Amos uses this tactic where he flips a well-known and cherished concept around on his audience. I imagine in my, in my head it would be kind of like, some, a prophet saying to us, hey, you're waiting on revival. Revival's coming all right, but it ain't going to be the, what you're expecting. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be a wake-up call. It's going to be terrible, right? You're going you're gonna to be forced to realize your mistakes and these kinds of things. That's, that's kind of how I imagine it. I'm not necessarily saying that's what I'm, I'm not saying that to you, but I'm just saying you, that's, that's what it would be like. So we can get our minds in, in the, the receivers, the recipients of this text. Yeah, his vindication, all right, <laughs> right. He's, and, and, and so he, he flips this, this commonly known, this cherished idea of the day of the Lord on the Israelites. And he, in matter of fact, he says this bit about the lion and then the bear and then the snake. And it, and it shows that you think you're okay. And it's like you're, you're in the frying pan and then you're in the microwave and then you're in the oven or whatever, however you want to say it. See, much like the Israelites, I think we tend to think we are good. I think we, I te- I think we tend, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I do this. I'm doing it right now. I mean, we, we think we're good. We, we get comfortable with what we believe, what we've seen, like what we believe through what we've seen, right, what we talked about in the beginning. We get comfortable. We say things like, you know, those, those other denominations, those are the ones 
whose worship is dead, right? Not, not us. We don't have tradition. All right, we're free. This isn't dead religion. No, no, you know, I'm not wrong for talking trash on this person. They wronged me, and I'm just venting to my Christian community, y'all. Like, we're, I'm fine, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not wrong for not giving to that man who was in need. He would just use it. He would just use the money to, to spend on, you spend it on booze, right? We justify and we say, I'm in, I'm right. My political ideas are right. My theological ideas are right. We, we, that's how we view the world as if everyone else is wrong and we're right. And we know that can't be true, right? If that, I mean, that would be like statistically impossible. It's not true. But we tend to think, that we are in God's will even when we really aren't. And we're in desperate need of a wake-up call or the day of the Lord, as Amos puts it. You see, and this is where he's going, but the Israelites thought they were good. They thought their worship was acceptable. They thought, they, they, they thought hey, we're, we've got, we got success, right? Like, we're doing well. We, we have prosperity, so we're good. Sounds like someone we, I mean, America, come on, right? Right? I mean, come on. It's easy to think these kinds of things here. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not dogging on you. Just stay with me. Stay with me. But Amos continues this rhetorical tactic, and he, uh, he uses another cherished theological concept, and he turns it on Israel, and that is their worship. So in verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. I think the harps were maybe out of tune. That was the problem. I'm just kidding. No. So, so. God is using some strong language here. And Amos says to Israel on God's behalf, I hate and I despise your worship. It stinks. It's, it's a stench to me. It stinks. Why? What's the problem here? Why, why does God say such a thing? Is it because they weren't doing the right stuff? No, the sacrificial system, it was right. God put it in place. The Levitical worship and the things that they were doing in the temple and stuff, that, that was was what God commanded. Maybe they added some bits in there that made it not so good like idolatry, but that's in the, the, you know, the later cha- uh, bits of Amos chapter 5. Is it because they're doing the right stuff wrong? You know, the harp playing is too loud, or again, maybe out of tune. The harp songs, you know, they're too old. We need newer songs. Come on, people, we got to stay relevant, right? No, no, it's not the stuff that's wrong. God hates their worship because worship is more than just the stuff. Worship goes beyond the temple. That's what God says to the Israelites. Worship goes beyond, for us, worship goes beyond our Sunday morning service. It does. It has to. If it doesn't, then it's, it's like everything else. Worship goes beyond an emotional experience. It does. It has to. The Israelites were practicing ritual without obedience, and God didn't want it. He didn't want He hated it. He hated it. And the funny thing is, we can get down with this part. We really can. In, in our tradition, in our 
fellowship and our circles, um, it's easy for us, and I'm right with you, I promise, I'm right with you, it's easy for us to be all about getting rid of ritual, right? We're all about it. We say, I don't want that dead religion, right? I don't want that dead religion that the so-and-sos have. But here's the deal. Our way of doing church, you have to understand this, our way of doing church can be a ritual too. In fact, I would argue that it is. Just because we're more emotionally expressive and, and free, as we call it, doesn't mean we don't have a ritual or a tradition of our own. We do. But again, the point is not that tradition is bad in and of itself, but that it's bad by itself. Let me say that again. The point is not that tradition is bad in and of itself, but that it's bad by itself. Does that make sense? Are you following me? God hates Israel's worship because it's missing what actually makes it worship. They aren't keeping the covenant. They're not keeping up. They're into the deal. They're not obeying. They're oppressing the poor. Worship is about the life lived. Amos shows us that. It's not about the stuff that we tend to make it about. It really isn't. It's about the life lived. I can't help but think about Romans 12 worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? This is, I, I really feel like this is helping me This text is helping me to see how worship fits in. I used to think, well, you just have the emotional experience and that like fills you up your tank, right? So you can go out and do the stuff. I don't know if that really grasps this. Worship first is about the life lived. And then we have our gathering where we sing together, where we encourage one another, which is incredible. And we should absolutely do it every Sunday. We should be here together as the body of Christ, absolutely. But worship starts with the life lived for God. But I I wonder sometimes, and I know, look, this is harsh, but we have to ask this question. I know you're all dreading it. I wonder sometimes if Sundays we gather and we sing and we get the feels, you know, and we listen to the sermon, you know, we do the stuff. We do the stuff but then we have no concern for the impoverished or the children in foster care or the refugees and the immigrants. You know, we do the stuff, but we treat it one another like dirt, talking unkindly, rudely, even if it's the right stuff, we, we still talk rudely, unkindly, thinking, you know, we're justified for whatever reason. You know, we do the stuff, but our families know two sides of us. The church side and the home side, and they're very different. <laughs> yeah, we, we do the stuff, but we refuse to reach out those who are outside of our Christian bubble. We do the stuff, but we live a double life at school. We do the stuff, but we, di- we disrespect our parents, you know? We do the stuff, but people with a different worldview, with a different mindset, different religion, different identity, as, the, if they, as they would call it, they mean nothing to us. In fact, they disgust us. And I wonder if God is saying, 
I hate it. I hate it. God, help us. God, help us. The very thought of God hating my worship shakes me to my core, personally. Personally, we have to start asking ourselves, are we living a life of worship? Does worship leave the Sunday morning service? Does worship continue when the song stops? Is the song and the singing, is the the Sunday morning, is it motivated out of a life of worship? God, help us. God, help us. But there is hope. There is hope. I'm not going to leave you depressed, I promise. There is hope. Even in Amos' difficult message of judgment, there is hope. Verse 24, he says, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Sandra, would you come? Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. There is a sense in Amos that repentance is still possible. Absolutely, that's a part of, the, of, of Amos. That repentance is still possible. It's not too late, Israel. I'm showing you this stuff. This is your wake-up call. And even when Israel doesn't repent, which they don't, restoration is still the hope for the future. The day of the Lord is talked about as fire in Amos. But the thing in the prophets that's really cool about fire is that fire is judgment, but fire is also refining. And as Pentecostals, we, we like fire, right? We're like, ooh, we need some fire in this place. And, and I agree with you. But I would say probably we need more of the, the prophet's fire than we do what we generally mean when we say that. <laughs> I, I think we need the prophet's fire. We need some, some hard, refining fire. A wake up, we need the day of the Lord. And I'm not saying we should seek hardship or we should seek just like the judgment of God or look for that or say, oh man, Hurricane Katrina, judgment of God. You know, I'm, that's not my point here. I don't think that'd be a proper reading. So don't, please don't hear that. But there's hope for the future that Jesus, that God would restore his people. And I, I, I see that in this, this last passage where it, it, it concludes this thought about worship. Amos reiterates God's desire for justice and righteousness. He says, like, let it flow like a river or, or like floodwaters and like a stream. But our idea of a stream, it doesn't really cut it. See, he's talking about a ravine here. More, more like a, a ravine. You know, who knows what a ravine is? So in the dry months, a ravine can be completely dried up, especially in this part of the world. They have very distinct rain, rain seasons. But the dry months, can, it can be completely dried up. But in the rainy season, the ravine is rapids. It's full. It's overflowing. It's fast. It's overwhelming. 
So let justice and righteousness flow like a ravine that never dries up. See, we can't worship in this way. We can't live a life of worship only when it's convenient for us. Like a never-ending stream, he says. Like a never-ending gushing ravine. See, this language, it points directly to God as he is ultimately the source from which justice and righteousness flows. As he is just and righteous, we are to be just and righteous. For the Israelites, this meant keeping the covenant. This is the same for us, but there's some added significance post-Jesus. There's some added, added significance considering the covenant is now written on our hearts, as in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 10. The covenant is now written on our hearts. Let's unpack that a little bit. If you remember that the covenant is what made Israel God's people, right, like we talked about way at the beginning, this means that we are brought into God's covenant people and we are called to live and worship as such. Through Jesus, we are brought in to God's kingdom, to God's covenant people. And we're called to worship as such. And I can't help but think about what Jesus says in in John chapter 4. There will come a time where people will worship in spirit and in truth. This is what I I, I definitely would, would tie these together in our interpretation. He's talking about God's covenant people who are not just the Jewish people anymore because the, the, all people have been brought in. Whose co- God's covenant has been written on their hearts and now they're able to worship God in spirit and in truth. But remember, worshiping as God's covenant people means more than just doing the stuff. Being a part of God's covenant people means more than just saying a prayer and being done. Means more than just saying a prayer every week and being done. Means more than just saying a prayer every week, having an emotional experience and singing a song and listening to a sermon and being done. It goes beyond Sunday. It's about a life lived in obedience. I think Brother Dan, I don't remember which song it was during, but I think you said something about he wants us, right? He wants us. When we're worshiping, he wants us. And I think that's at the heart of this text, but I I, I don't want us to misinterpret because a lot of times when we say, oh, when I worship, God just wants us, what we mean is he wants like my full like emotional feels on on Sunday morning, right? Like he wants me to be like fully bought in, jumping off the walls, running around. And if you want to jump off the walls and run around, ask Pastor Sid. I think that'd be great. But, so my point is not to, but my point is this. When when, when I say God wants us as as worship, God wants our lives, ourselves, it's everything. It's how we treat the poor. 
It's how we keep the covenant. It's how we talk to one another as, a, as the body of Christ. So like being passive aggressive and angry, which happens a lot, and I'm guilty of it too. Ask Jillian. Actually don't, please. But that's not, that's not a life of worship. That's not being part of God's covenant people in that moment, right? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go into a song and I would encourage you to sing together, encouraging one another, but to focus your hearts and your minds on worship that goes beyond a moment and that spills out in, like, like, a, like a ravine into our lives. Lord Jesus, help us, God. Help us to adjust our definition of worship to mean something deeper than what it tends to mean for us, something deeper than a genre of music that we listen to or a time in our service. Lord, help us to adjust our definition of worship to mean everything that we are, our whole lives offered to you in obedience. Lord God, help it to play out in how we treat the poor, the marginalized, and how we talk to one another and how we talk to our family when no one else is there and how we love our pastor and love each other and all of it, all of it, God, help us. We pray in the name of Jesus.